Turn in your Bibles today to Daniel chapter 2. And we're going to be reading quite a portion of Scripture. But this is the Word of God. And when we come together like this, we need to spend probably a little bit more time seeing what God's Word says than just what Brit's words say. Amen. So we're going to do a lot of reading today. But uh, I want the Spirit of God to add His anointing to its reading today. Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 19, and we're going to be going through uh, verse 45. And you can follow along on the screen. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His, and He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness. Boy, isn't that a great promise? He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, (coughs) whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name uh, was also Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes who make known the interpretation of the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching. Behold, a great image. The great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. The image's head was fine gold and its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while stone was cut without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away that so no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. 
And wherever the children of men dwell or beasts of the field or birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. I want to speak to you today on the subject, the statue and the stone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is forever settled in heaven. Lord, we thank you for that promise. We also thank you for the assurance that your word will not return unto us empty or void, but it will go forth and do what it's been sent to do. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you're grateful for the word of God, give him another hand today. Amen. I don't know how often you dream. It, it tends to take me by, by spells. But have you ever had a dream that was so vivid? It, it just was so moving. It was a dream that made you emotional, either with joy or with sorrow or with terror in the middle of the night. It, it, it was a dream that when you awoke, you still felt that emotion of that dream. Uh, I have had mornings where I've got up that I could tell Crystal was mad at me and it was because she dreamed that I did something. It wasn't even, it, it, I was getting in trouble for things I hadn't done. But have you ever had that kind of dream and when you first awoke you knew what it was but within about five minutes you, you lost that dream. The, the feeling was still there Maybe it was a nightmare. That, that sense of, 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 uh, of impending doom was still there with you, but you couldn't even remember why. It, it were just vague shadows of things. And, and, and by the time the day wore all on, you couldn't even remember the dream. Well, that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that was so real to him. And he, he even felt that there must be some significance about that dream that it was an important dream, that, that either uh, the supernatural or his own psyche was trying to tell him something. But even though he still felt the weight of that dream, he could not remember that dream. And so he called in 
all of his wise men. Some of them were astrologers, some of them were wizards, some of them were soothsayers, some of them were counselors. He called them all in, magicians, and he said, I've had this dream, I've got to know what it means, but the problem is I don't remember it. So it's up to you to tell me, first of all, what I dreamed, and second of all, what I dreamed, what it meant. And they said, nobody can do that. We can't do that. He said, well, you can either do it or find somebody that can do it, or I'm just going to have all of you killed. Because he was the king and his word was law. Well, there were four little Hebrew refugees or captives that had been taken from Judah and brought to Babylon. And they had been assigned as part of this great company of wise men, of counselors. Which meant that if all of the wise men in the the kingdom were going to be put to death, they were going to be put to death. One of them was Daniel himself, who his Babylonian name was Balthasar. The others were three names you might or may not recognize, Hananiah, Meshiel, and Azariah. But you probably know them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel went back with those four and said, guys, we got to pray. We've got to call on the God of heaven. We've got to seek God and seek his mercies that he'll tell one of us what the king dreamed and what it means because if we don't, we're going to be destroyed with the rest of them. And what we've read to you was where the story picks up that God did reveal unto Daniel the story. And there are three points that I want to get across, and I don't want the points to get lost in the middle of this story. There are three points that I want to get across today that the dream reveals and that this story reveals. The first thing that the story reveals is that God is sovereign. The next thing that it reveals is that earthly kingdoms are shifting. And the last thing and most glorious thing that it reveals is that Christ is supreme. That God is sovereign over the nations, over the world. That earthly kingdoms are constantly in transition and shifting. And that Christ, when it's all said and done, will reign supreme. So the first thing that Daniel said when the Lord revealed the dream, verse 20 through 22, he said, Blessed be the name of God forever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. You say, well, things aren't like they used to be. No, but God is the one that changes the times and the seasons. You say, well, man changes everything. Well, yeah, but they only do it as God allows them to do. Well, the devil's gotten a hold of people. Yes, but it only happens when God allows it to happen. God is the one that changes times and seasons. Not only that, he's the one that removes kings. And he's the one that sets kings up. He's the one that establishes nations and tears down nations and raises up nations in their place. God is the God not only of history. In fact, all of history is his story. But he's the God not only of history. He's the God of the future and he's the God of 2020. Corona didn't take him by surprise. Rights in the street didn't take him by surprise. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death didn't take him by surprise. He's the one that controls all of that. That doesn't mean that man doesn't have free will. 
It doesn't mean that mankind can't obey or disobey God. It doesn't mean there's not consequences to our decisions or our votes or our elections. All of that is true, but, but overreaching all of it, God is still sovereign and God is still in control. Look at your neighbor and say, God's in control. No, you didn't act like you meant that. Look at him and say, God is in control. And he is in control. And then Daniel begins to interpret the dream starting in verse 31. He said, King, what you dreamed, there was this great, huge uh, image. And it not only was spectacular in, in, uh, in its form and in its beauty, but it was also awe-inspiring in its sheer size. And what you saw was, was a vision, and this is found in verses 31 through 35, that there was a head of gold, uh, that's verse 32, a chest and arms of silver, and the belly and thighs were made out of bronze, or some translations say brass, and then the legs were made out of, uh, verse 30, uh, five, uh, 33, its legs were made out of arm, uh, uh, iron, and its feet were made out of iron and clay mixed together. And he begins to interpret that for him. He says, what this means is, is that you, verse 38, are the head of gold. And I think we've got a, uh, a chart up here. You are the head of gold in your dream. You and your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, which lasted from 605 B.C. to 539 B.C., you're the head of gold. Now what I'm about to tell you is not me just trying to place things, even though there are a lot of scholars that agree with it, most uh, conservative scholars do, but we just, we just know from history when the next kingdom came. The next kingdom that replaced Babylon was the Medes and the Persians. This happened during Daniel's own lifetime. Daniel existed under Nebuchadnezzar. He existed under Belshazzar. He existed under Darius. And he existed under both kingdoms that ruled the same part of the world. And he said, there's a kingdom coming after you. It's not going to be as impressive as your kingdom. But that kingdom is uh, the breast of silver. And that Persian kingdom, it's actually just like the statue had two arms the Persian kingdom was actually the Medes and the Persians, the Medo-Persian. And so that silver kingdom lasted for 539 to 331 B.C. And then here came, and we just know this by history, we know who captured the Persians, who overthrew the Persians. It was a young man who died in his 30s, but he was such a great general. His, he, his dad was the king of Macedonia. His name was Philip, but his name was Alexander, and they still call him Alexander the Great to this day. And he captured most of the known world, including Persia, which had belonged to Babylon. He captured that, and that was the thighs of brass. That's Greece, and that lasted from 331 until uh, uh, 168 B.C., and then he said, and then there's going to arise a kingdom. Now look, iron is not near as precious as gold, but it's a lot stronger. It's not as precious as silver, but it's a lot stronger. It's not as pretty as brass or bronze is, but it's a lot stronger. And he said that kingdom's going to arise, and that kingdom is going to be so strong, 
just like iron is stronger than those other metals. It's not as impressive, it's not as pretty, but it's stronger. It's going to crush everything. It's just going to rule the world under a hobnail boot. And Rome came and had the, uh, from 165, uh, 168 B.C. to uh, 476 A.D., for, uh, for 600 or so years, Rome ruled the world. They had what was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, and they absolutely enforced and imposed their will. You can still go today uh, from anywhere, from Africa to the Great Britain, to Italy, to any of those places. And you know what you'll find there? Roman road, roads. Roads that the Romans built, including the promised land. They uh, were in Israel and Palestine. And there were two legs, and we know that uh, in the 200s, 200, 285 AD, that under Diocletian, the Roman Empire was split in two. And then there's this coming kingdom out there and this is where a lot of prophecy experts make their hay telling us what that coming kingdom's going to be. Those, lay, those feet of iron and clay mingled. And some think that's going to be the resurrected Roman Empire. Some have thought that it's the European Union. Some, there's all kinds of things about who that's going to be. And you say, well, preacher, who's it going to be? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. That this head of gold and that this chest of silver and that these, uh, this belly and thighs of bronze and these legs of iron, all of them are standing on feet of clay. That every kingdom is standing on feet of clay. We even use that today, don't we, to describe the weakness of mankind. We say, well, you know, we all have feet of clay. You know where we get that term from? This, this story. This is iron and clay mingled together. What I'm telling you is that all of these kingdoms that I've presented to you, they've all been transitory. They may last 200 years. They may last 500 years. They may last 700 years. But they are, have all faded and gone with the wind. It's transitory. I love the United States of America. I don't want to offend anybody but I think we ought to stand with our heart, with our hands over our hearts and our hats off and respect the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag and sing the national anthem. And if being a patriot makes me uh, unpopular with people, I'm just going to have to be unpopular. Because I let, do I think we're perfect? No, but I love the United States of America. But I want you to know something. The United States of America is not invincible. And it is not eternal. If we think that we're going to establish what no other kingdom, no other nation, no other empire has been able to do and rest and say, now we have peace and will last forever, it's not going to happen. In fact... If you'll look around, you'll see that even now, our nation is crumbling around us. Right? Why? Well, democracy is wonderful as long as you can get people to stick together. It is great. Democracy is a, the hope 
of the world as long as people stick together. But the problem is, is those feet of clay are made out of clay and iron. There's some strength, there's some weakness. And the Bible says iron and clay will not adhere to each other. That's what he said. I read it to you. Iron and clay doesn't adhere to each other. The problem is, is that after a while you can't get people to stick together. As long as you can get people to stick, stick together, adhere to each other. As long as you have common beliefs, common faith, common goals, common values, common morals. As long as you have a common ideal, then it's easy for people to stick together. But the problem is, is that nobody has ever been able to get people to stick together. We all rally around our own personal agendas. And because of that, even the United States of America has feet of clay. What I'm trying to tell you is that every nation, every nation has feet of clay. Every empire, the, the world and its kingdoms are in constant flux, constant transition. Now that's the bad news, but how many wants to hear some good news? The good news is, is that in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he saw a little stone come rolling in, juxtaposed to that huge statue that shows, it shows thousands of years of world history and the great kingdoms and the great men that ruled those kingdoms. And here comes this little stone rolling in. Commentators, some commentators will say that little stone is the kingdom of God. Others will say, no, 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 that little stone is not the kingdom of God, but that little stone is Jesus Christ. But here's what I'm going to tell you. You can't separate the kingdom from its king, and you can't separate the king from his kingdom. So it's one and the same. The Lord Jesus Christ is that little stone that comes in. Listen, you've got your Nebuchadnezzars, you've, you've got your Cyruses, you've got your, your Alexander the Greats, your Julius Caesars, you've got all of the great mighty men of history and all of the force that they welded and all of the armies that marched and here comes rolling this little stone and juxtaposed, he seems so small, so insignificant. Listen, he was formed in the womb of a virgin. He was born in a little insignificant hole in the wall, Bethlehem. Not in a palace, but I believe in a, in a stall, in a barn, in a cave, laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes in little Israel. Israel, was, Israel, even in its own day, was a little mite of a nation. Today, it, Israel, when you look at it from the rest of the world, Israel, it doesn't have many natural resources. It doesn't have very many citizens, very many people. It's not a large nation. It doesn't have very much land mass. 
It's about the size of our smallest state, Rhode Island. And yet the eyes of the whole world constantly look to Israel. And here Jesus is, he comes from Bethlehem in little Israel and that little tiny stone comes rolling in. And the Bible says that, that, that Daniel, this is in, uh, in verse 34, Daniel said to the king, you watched it when this stone was cut. It was cut out of a mountain and it was a stone that was cut without hands. You know what that tells me? That tells me that in, in the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, it's not man's doing. It's something not natural, but supernatural. It's not something that man made up. So you got to be wary even if it's a pastor of a church that tries to establish his own kingdom. Do you, there was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful church in the 60s in Southern California. They fed the poor. They gave a place for people that were misfits to come. They did great works and their pastor was so loving to people. He was so compassionate and people thought so much of him. And he had the idea, if we can go to a part of the world and create our own commune, our own community, we could have the kingdom of God on earth. And so they went down to Guyana and started a little town named after the pastor called Jonestown. And yet as he grew in power and might, he began to be sadistic and cruel and serve himself so that whenever the government came to check on him, he uh, put a big cauldron of, uh, of Kool-Aid laced with cyanide for his followers to drink and all they found were the dead remains of those that followed him. That's what happens when man tries to create his own kingdom. And even in the United States of America, there are people that are manipulating us to create their own kingdoms, to fill their own purses. But I'm going to tell you this kingdom I'm talking about, the kingdom that is already here, the kingdom that of God that is within us, and the kingdom that one day will fill the whole earth is not a kingdom that was made with hands. It hadn't been molded by some politician. It's not some speech writer that created it. God didn't check and see what the poll said in order to take his positions. It's a stone that has not been made by hand. Not only, yeah, go ahead and give him a hand clap of praise. Not only has it not been made by hands, but it doesn't need any improvement. Jesus doesn't need you to chip away what it is about him that you don't like. Jesus doesn't need a preacher or a politician or an educator to smooth off his rough edges. See, there are people in our day, there are churches just within a mile or so of this church that feel like, I don't like what the Bible says here, let's just smooth that off. I don't like what the Bible has to say about that, let's just chip that away. But can I tell you that Christ 
and his kingdom does not need man's hand to make it more socially acceptable, to make it more marketable, to make it more of a PR hit. It is what it is. He will not compromise. And here's the thing, every hammer that's tried to chip away at the rock of Jesus, the hammer's been broken and the rock still stands. Thank God for the eternal Son of God. Amen, amen, and amen. In over 20 centuries, he's the central figure, one man wrote, of the human race. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man as much as this one solitary life. Why do I say Jesus is the rock? Eleven different times in the Psalms, it says, the Lord is my rock. David said in Psalm 61 and 2, from the ends of the earth will I cry unto you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. 1 Corinthians 10, 4 said those Hebrews in the middle of the desert, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Jesus said that if you'll hear these sayings of mine and do them, you'll be like a man who builds his house on a rock that when the wind and rain comes, he will stand. Jesus said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? Some said Jeremiah, John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets. And he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, I know who you are. You're the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas, for flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father which art in heaven, and I'm, I want you to know that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Matthew 24, uh, 21 and 42, Jesus quoted the Psalms and said, have you never read the scriptures? that the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, the headstone of the corner. There's a reason that we sing, Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. There's a reason that we sing, Jesus is a rock in a weary land. There's a reason that we sing, my hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. If you know Jesus is the rock of ages, give him a hand clap of praise. Amen. Daniel said in verse 45, he said, King, you, in your dream, you not only saw that little rock, you not only saw that it was made without hands, you saw where it came from. You saw that that was a rock, this is verse 45, you saw that that was a rock that was hewn out of the mountain without hands. In other words, Jesus is a chip off the old block. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he said, that same rock, verse 34, that same rock come flying out of nowhere 
and it hit those feet of clay and iron. And when it hit that, it all started to crumble. Not just the feet of iron, but the foundation of all of man's kingdoms, all of man's designs, all of man's hopes, all of man's dreams, all of man's ambitions, all of man's political wranglings, all of the kingdoms of the earth. Because the foundation was fragile. That little rock came and hit it and they all fell. They became like when, when they would go out and, and uh, garner the wheat out of the fields, harvest the wheat and garner it into the barn and they would take and shake the wheat so that, that the grains of wheat would fall and then they would grind those, those uh, little kernels of wheat so that the husk, the outside of the grain, the husk, would fall away and all would be left was the grain. And then, like I said the other day, they'd take a, a big, huge winnowing fan and they would fan that floor. And because those husks were light, the wind would catch those husks and, the, and they'd fly away. And all would be left would be the grain. Or they'd take it out into the open air and toss it up in the air so that as the wind blew, it would take the husk and fly away. He said all of those kingdoms were ground to a powder. Like Jesus said as much in Matthew 21, 44 himself. He said, whoever falls on the rock will be broken into pieces, but whoever upon whom the rock falls will be ground to a powder. He said, all those kingdoms are going to be destroyed. They're going to be ground to a powder, and they're going to blow away like chaff in the summer breeze. Now, I want to tell you, I have political opinions and, they're, and they are strong. But I'm going to tell you something. If you are building your hope on some man, on some party, on some program, on some slogan, on some movement, I'm going to tell you they all have feet of clay. Malcolm Muggridge was a great commentator. He was a, he was a wicked man in his youth but became a strong Christian as he aged. And I want you to bear with me. I'm going to read to you what he said. We look back upon history and what do we see? Empires rising and falling. Revolutions and counter-revolutions. Wealth accumulating and wealth dispersed. One nation dominant and then another. Shakespeare speaks of the rise and fall of the great ones that ebb and flow with the moon. I look back. He was British. He said, I look back on my own fellow countrymen ruling over a quarter of the world, the make great majority of them convinced in the words of what is still a, a favorite song, that God who made, who's made the mighty would make them mightier yet. I've heard a crazed, cracked Austrian, that's Hitler, announce to the world the establishment of the German Reich that would last a thousand years. An Italian clown, Mussolini, announced that he would restart the calendar to begin with his own ascension to power. I've heard a murderous uh, Georgian brigand, and of course that's Joseph Stalin, in the Kremlin acclaimed by the intellectual elite of the world as a wiser than Solomon, more humane than Marcus Aurelius, and more enlightened than Ashoka. I've seen America wealthier, and in terms of weaponry, 
more powerful than the rest of the world put together so that had the American people desired, they could have outdone an Alexander or a Julius Caesar in the range and scale of their conquest. All in one lifetime, all in one lifetime, all gone with the wind. England, part of a tiny island off the coast of Europe, threatened with the dismemberment and even bankruptcy. Hitler and Mussolini dead, remembered only in infamy. Stalin, a forbidden name in the regime that he helped found and dominate for some three decades. America haunted by fears of running out of those precious fluids that keep her motorways roaring and the smog settling. And with troubled memories of a disastrous campaign in Vietnam and the victories of the Don Quixotes of the media as they charged the windmills of Watergate. All in one lifetime. All gone. Gone with the wind. And Ravi Zacharias added this postscript. Behind the debris of these self-styled, sullen supermen and imperial diplomats, there stands the gigantic figure of one person because of whom, by whom, in whom, and through whom alone mankind might still have hope, the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 35 said that little stone came in and it struck those feet. And the kingdoms fell, grounded to powder, and blew away. But then it said this, But that little stone that came from the mountain began to grow. And that stone became a mountain itself that filled the whole earth. The promise we have of Scripture in Revelation 11:15 is this. In the midst of the seals being torn apart and trumpets sounding and vials being poured out and agony on planet earth and, and sickness ravaging the earth and warfare and famine and death, the four horsemen of the apocalypse having their way in the midst of all of it. Here's what the angel, the seventh angel pro- proclaimed and the loud voices of heaven shouted and said, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. I don't know what's going to happen in November. I don't know what's going to happen three years from now. I don't know what's going to happen ten years from now. I don't know what we're facing. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know when this corona business is going to be over with. I don't know whether we're going to be persecuted and thrown in jail. I don't know what's going to happen to this sick old world. But I do know what's going to happen before it's all said and done. The kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Last weekend, we observed the 19th anniversary of 9-11. I know that our nation's seen some dark days. I know it has. I know that what happened December the 7th, Six in 1941 in Pearl Harbor was tragic. 
I know the assassination of presidents, presidents were tragic. Assassination of, of peaceful people that were hoping for social change was tragic. I know we've seen a lot of tragedy. But I don't think anybody can argue that the attack on American soul 19 years ago was to this point the darkest day of our history. That it wasn't somewhere far away in some military outpost. It was right here. And we've lived under a microscope since that day. Our world, our nation forever changed on that day. And I remember seeing those images. And I thought about this as I read this scripture. You got those images? Those images of people surrounded by the debris. The smoke as those twin towers fell. And the smog and the fog. And total devastation. And I thought at how Nebuchadnezzar dreamed and Daniel interpreted and said, that's what the, the empires of the world looked like when that little stone rolled in. Ground to powder. All of the beauty, all of the pomp, all the circumstance, all of the military might, all gone like smoke in the wind. And I thought as how that in our day, although, thank God, we've not seen an attack in 19 years on American soil, I thought it how I get choked off of the debris and the dust that's filling the air as America crumbles beneath us. I'm not being an alarmist. I'm telling you that our very nation is crumbling. And like those poor souls that were walking covered in that dust and blinded, their eyes stinging and tears of pain from the stinging in their eyes mingled with the tears of heartbreak as they tried to feel their way down the streets of Manhattan to get to safety. And anybody else feel like that's the way we are? You turn on the news and it's getting so much harder to tell the good guys from the bad guys and even the people that you agree with, you still don't like them because they don't really share your core values. And we're stumbling around in all of this dust and debris of the crumbling nation. But I can tell you, if you can lift your eyes above the fray, there's a mountain that's still standing. He stands above the noise. He stands above the confusion. He stands above the debris. He stands above the, the smoke and the fog. He's still standing and he's not diminishing. He's growing. His kingdom's getting bigger. 
His kingdom's not getting smaller. His influence is increasing. It's not decreasing. Don't you be blinded by the little smoke-filled area that you're in. Lift up your eyes. Your redemption draweth nigh. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. If you believe it, give the Lord Jesus a hand clap of praise. Amen. 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 Would you stand today? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we are living in critical, troubled times. Lord, we are people of love. We love each other. And we're not united by the how much money we make on our job or whether we're blue collar or white collar, whether we're a laborer or a professional. We're not united, dear God, because we grow up in the same community or because we have the same race or the same color of, of skin or even have the same language. We're not even united, God, because we all share social and political and economic opinions or all vote the same way or think the same way. We're united because the grace of God has appeared to us and forgiven us of our sins and washed us in the blood and made us one. And our allegiance, Lord, is not wasted by having allegiance to our nation. That's not a bad thing. But the allegiance that we have to this nation is a secondary allegiance. Our allegiance is to the kingdom of God and to you, its king.